to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. And he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So we have an interesting uh, combination of readings, pairing of readings for today. Um, the first from 1 Kings and then our Gospel reading. And they um, don't seem to agree in uh, scope. Shocking, I know, that the Bible has parts that don't agree with one another. Uh, we have first in our Old Testament reading the story of the calling of Elisha to be Elijah's partner and um, really his student uh, and his companion in his life of prophesying around. Uh, remarkable relation between, relationship between the two of them. I really love their relationship in the scripture, their dedication to one another and commitment. Um, and we have this uh, moment when Elijah calls Elisha as he is called to do so by God and Elisha says I yes I'm all in but first let me go say goodbye to everyone right and then, then there's this sort of strange goodbye ritual of killing the ox and feeding everybody and um, Elijah says sure go on back and when Elisha comes and rejoins Elijah Elijah doesn't say how could you be so selfish and want to go say goodbye to your family you can't join me no of course Elijah then brings in Elisha as a part of his family, so to speak, um, and they journey together. That's such a contrast to Jesus's reaction to folks asking for, in one case, exactly the same thing, right? If you go and look back at the gospel lesson that I just shared with you, um, we have, instead of Jesus saying, well, of course you would want to go and say goodbye to your family. Of course you want to bury your father. Talk about a lack of compassion, right? This Jesus in this reading today, he's just not nice. He's just not what, I mean, I give him credit for disagreeing with James and John that they should rain fire down upon the Samaritan community. Like, yes, thank you for that one. Um, but generally speaking, like his responses to people, they're not pastoral. This is not the Jesus that you want to have as your parish priest. All right, can you imagine if I said, come on, we got to go do something. And you said, but my father, I need to bury. No, no, come on, we're going. That would be awful, wouldn't it? You'd be calling the bishop so fast. <laughs> this is not pastoral Jesus we're meeting today. 
uh, and, and says something so different than Elijah. Elijah, yes, of course you need to do that. Jesus, no, now is the time. This is when we're doing it. Don't look back. You can't turn away. Uh, that, that idea that there is no time for tending to those sorts of mundane things. I'm, I'm going to give Jesus sort of some, some benefit of the doubt and some interpretation here. And that is that Jesus is dealing in a time where he's trying to convey the urgency of the work that's set before them. And this is a moment to kind of marvel in Jesus' ministry. Because it was three years, as far as we know, from the time Jesus was about 30 to 33, we think. It was a three-year ministry. That's not much time. And this is moving along on in. This isn't day one of the three-year ministry he's talking. And so he's trying to convey the urgency with which people need to join this movement, need to start spreading the gospel, because his time is very limited with them. It's time to get moving. No, we, 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 there really is no time to spare. It is extremely urgent that we get things done. And if you ever just have a moment of little faith or just at least apathetic towards your faith, just think about the fact that in three years, Jesus and his followers changed the world. Think about how long it takes for us to change anything, right? Uh, civil rights movement was over 50 years ago. Y'all, we're nowhere near, right? Like, we're still working on that one. We're, we like to call, I think it's funny that we talk about it as if it's just one little moment in time, but systemic racism is pervasive in our community still. So, we, you know, it takes us a very long time to change our minds about things. And the little bit of time that Jesus was able to transform people and transform the world, even considering Paul's teachings after that and how the apostles picked it up, it's tremendous what they did in that amount of time. No wonder he was like, no, y'all, we got to go. We, got, we don't have much time at all. Three years, that's no time at all. And so Jesus is trying to create a sense of urgency for folks about how they need to do this, how focused they need to be in the work set before them. And I love his analogy. Now, it's not an analogy that most of us are terribly familiar with. Um, I don't know that a ton of us have ever spent hours behind a mule plowing in a field before. Right? It's not fun work. I had a cousin. We, we had a small enough garden. We just used a, a hoe and went down our row. But, uh, or my dad would pull out the tiller, which was really nice. But uh, I had a cousin who did it all behind his mule uh, and would furrow his rows that way. And it's hard work. I love that somebody in lectionary this week pointed out that a mule's diet is mostly fibrous. And so to spend hours behind a mule is not the most exotic work there is. It's hot and dirty and a little smelly, you know, that this is hard work that Jesus is talking about. And that if you turn to the side, you're going to get distracted. There's no time for that. Not only is there no time for that, if you turn away, we tend to go in the direction we're facing, right? Even if we don't mean to, if we turn and we're doing something, we tend to step in that direction. I was reminded this week of a precious little boy that had kind of gone outside my memory for a bit. Between junior and senior year in college, I worked as a counselor at a, um, at a day camp at an Episcopal church in Dorchester, Mass., which is kind of like the inner city of Boston. So much fun. It was such a great summer. What they were thinking by giving a 21-year-old a whole class of six-year-olds with zero training, I don't know, but we, we had a lot of fun. But I had one little boy in my class, Jeffrey. And he probably had undiagnosed and untreated ADHD because he had more energy than anybody I've ever known and could not focus on any one thing. 
and I could call his name, I could try my best to get his attention, and it meant nothing, which normally wasn't an issue because I just let them play outside a lot. We'd, we would come in and do a little less, and then we'd go outside and play. We'd come in and do a little bit and go outside and play. And field trips, normally it was like going and swimming or something that took a lot of energy. But one day they said, we're going to the aquarium. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I've got 10 little six-year-olds i got to figure out what to do with, including Jeffrey. And so I, I, my little helpers that were high school students, I got them to divide up the rest of the class, and I knew that I was going to have to just be Jeffrey. Like, Jeffrey and I one-on-one, -on -one, because otherwise I was going to lose Jeffrey, and the next thing I knew, he was going to be Paul Revering it across Boston, all right? <laughs> little, wonderfully energetic little boy. And so I had divided up all the class, and I was just with Jeffrey that day. And Jeffrey, he would run off and go look at something, and I would say, Jeffrey, we've got to go. We need to move on. It's time to move on. And I might as well have been talking to the air because Jeffrey could not hear my voice and it made no difference because he was not focused on that. He was focused on whatever he was looking at. And then I realized that day that if I gently just turn, instead of fussing at Jeffrey, which was pointless and not good for either of us, I learned if I just gently turn Jeffrey's face in the direction I wanted to go in, he went in that direction. I would just gently turn his face and say, Jeffrey, look over there, penguins. Oh, penguins! <laughs> Right? And then we would see the penguins that gently turn his face. Look, piranhas, ooh, piranhas, you know. And we navigated the whole aquarium in that way, just gently turning Jeffrey in the right direction and just letting the attention take him in that direction. Well, yes, I get you, Jesus, because if we turn our head over there with some distraction, ooh, I want to go over there, and we are far from plowing a straight line. Now, Paul picks up this thread for us, and lists out all the things which, which do distract us from our life, all the worldly desires. And they're such a good list. Did y'all have fun listening to that list? I know I did. Any list that starts with fornication, we're going to have a good time with this, right? Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. I love the sorcery, by the way. I just love that one. Strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, etc., etc., etc. I love that Paul jumps in with this and helps us kind of name what these distractions are that keep us from doing the work that Christ has given us to do. Now, you might think to yourself, oh, those things aren't distracting me. I don't fall into any of that category, and you might be exactly right. We actually, in our era today, don't need anything as um, wonderfully fantastic as anything on this list. All we need to do is reach in our pocket. We're distracted by much less than fornication and licentiousness. <laughs> it only takes a little bing for us to, oh, Gregory, look over there, what? <laughs> we carry it around with us all the time. And you might not have a smartphone, but you've got TV and you've got a million other things to distract you, right? We don't need to go very far to understand how easily our attention is drawn away from the work of kingdom building. And it's way more fun, P.S., right? Like, I could get on here and look up what's happening in the Sudan right now, but did you see what the Kardashians were wearing last week? <laughs> right? I could 
do some research about children in our border and the help that they need, but come on, the women's U.S. soccer team, people. All right, I might validate that distraction a little bit because come on, the U.S. women's soccer team is fantastic, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. We don't have to go very far to get distracted. And it's with good reason. We are self-indulgent. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. I would much rather feel good about myself. I'd much rather feel good, period. And there are a million things that are like candy that easily will draw my attention away because they're just much more entertaining and fun and shiny. This actually truly is designed to be addicting for us. The color that is used and the sounds and the way that the graphics are made specifically are designed to keep our attention and hold it. So when you hear people being addicted to their phones, it's not a joke, it's actually a very real problem. Um, because it's who we are, this is human nature people, right? Whereas the work that Christ calls us to do often is more akin to standing behind a mule for hours on end in hot and dusty places. Because God calls us, yes, to the shiny and the fabulous, but God also calls us mostly to the dirt, the grime, the heartache, the dark, dank corners of the world where no one else wants to go. A good barometer for us in understanding where the work of God most needs to be done are places that just glancing at them, just pulling back the curtain the tiniest bit makes our heart hurt. If your heart hurts, that's a good sign that that's the direction we need to be going in, right? If it's a lot of fun, it has lots of bells and whistles, beware, beware. While Jesus is needed everywhere, we have a bad habit of rationalizing ourselves that Jesus is most needed where it's shiny and pretty. But the hardest work, the work that we're called to do the most is to reach out to the widowed, the orphaned, the poor, the destitute, those most at risk in our society, and that is the hardest place to go because it makes our heart hurt before we take one step into that arena. So an invitation and a challenge issued to us in our readings for today. And that is a call to first become aware of our distractions. How are we so easily, our attention so easily pulled away from the work set before us? And what are those things that for each and every one of us on an individual level, what are those things that so easily, oh, oh, just that one little ring of a bell, it doesn't have to be shiny and neon, y'all. Just a slight little ring of a bell, we're good Pavlovian dogs after all. That one little ring of a bell is enough to make our attention turn. So what is it for you? What are your most distracting things in your lives and how do they, that, how does that need to be addressed? How do your behaviors need to be reformed? And then the further, deeper question is, what is making your heart hurt right now? What is it you're hearing about that really, you knew that if you stepped too far into that, you might start crying. I got hard news, and that is, that's exactly where we're called to be. So what are those spaces? And what might each and every one of us be doing on an individual basis and collectively to better engage those areas and step into the fray? So, I love it, y'all. I love it. But I'll name myself. This is one of my big distractors. I don't even like waiting in line in silence, right? 
So what is it for you? What's drawing your attention away from the gospel of Christ, from being a worker in the vineyard, and from planting seeds that someday might bear fruit you'll never see but will change the world? Amen.